Good morning. Happy Sunday. So next Sunday, 9.30 service is going to be our Lord's Supper service. So everybody's welcome to come join us. We remember who Christ is and what he's done for us. And then the following Sunday, September 24th, is going to be our big, huge, fun, fall kickoff home opener. We're going to have games, food, prizes, very cool t-shirts you can buy. We'd love to see you then. Let me pray for us. Dear God, we love you. We trust you. We are so thankful for what an incredibly good God that you are. We're thankful for this space and this time that you've given us to draw near to you. I pray that you would strengthen our hearts, encourage our minds, and stir something right in our souls to be the men and women you've called us to be. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I came across Angela Lee Duckworth and her book named Grit some years ago. She spoke at a conference I attended. She did a TED Talk. I've read the book. It's this incredible idea about the power of grit in our lives. Angela had worked as a management consultant, and she decided to leave her job and teach math to seventh graders in public schools. Seems like an adventurous jump. And after five years of teaching, she went back to school, went back to grad school, and pre, uh, completed her PhD in psychology. What she learned while she was teaching was this idea that IQ wasn't the only difference between the best students and the worst students. So she started studying kids and adults and different kinds of things, trying to see who was going to be successful and why they were successful. The question she asked was this, what if doing well in school and life depends on more than the ability to learn quickly and easily? So as she was studying psychology, she started to test her theory to determine who would be successful, why they were successful. She interviewed all kinds of people from different groups. She went to West Point and went to the military academy and tried to predict which one of the cadets in the class would stay in training and which ones would drop out. And she worked with kids in the National Spelling Bee and tried to guess which ones would go the furthest in the contest and rookie teachers and who would still be there at the end of the year. She met with people in private companies and tried to determine, like in sales, who would be best at their jobs and who would make the most money. So in all of these different groups, she said one of the characteristics that emerged as the most significant predictor of success wasn't social intelligence, wasn't good looks, wasn't physical health, not even IQ. Instead, she said it was grit. And this is how she defines grit. She called grit the passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit is having stamina. It's sticking with the future day in and day out for years. It's working really hard to make that future become a reality and living life like a marathon, not a sprint. She said grittier kids are significantly more likely to graduate regardless of their background, their home life, or even their talent. She said what happens is we look at people who are talented and think, wow, they're gonna do so well, but talent doesn't make you gritty. The most talented, many talented individuals don't follow through on their commitments, and grit is usually unrelated or inversely related to talent. She said the best idea if you want to build grit into your life is something called a growth mindset. So there's a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And what the growth mindset says is the ability to learn isn't fixed. Right? How many times have you been doing something and you're like, I can't do this, I'm never going to be able to do this, it's never going to work out? Right? That's a fixed mindset. A growth mindset, I heard one person speak on it, you just had the qualifier yet. I don't know how to do this yet. 
and it changes the way you have the ability to learn and your effort that you put into it. She said, when kids read and learn about brains and how they change and grow in response to challenges, they're more likely to persevere when they fail because they don't believe failure is a permanent position. And she says so many more awesome ideas in her book and in her talks, but this main idea of grit, I love the power of we can grow and persevere. If you study the history of the church and how God worked in these thousands of years, you see these ideas of grit and perseverance again and again and again. Perseverance at its core is continued effort to do something despite difficulties or failure or opposition, to keep persisting even when it's hard or even when you feel discouraged. And if you look throughout history, every great story, every person who's made a successful business or career or uh, advanced in sports or athletics or competition, they can tell you about the struggles they faced along the way. They can tell you the failures that they had to overcome and the things that they did that didn't work the way they thought they would. But the reason they found success eventually, because they didn't give up. They persisted, they grew, and they persevered. When things got, go, uh, got hard, they kept going when other people would have quit. And as we look at the book of Acts and what happens when Christ returns to heaven and his friends go out and do the things he told them to do, we see the rise of the New Testament church. And we learn about men and women who are so empowered by God and the Holy Spirit and their belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They just stick it out through challenge after challenge after challenge. And we see God at work as they persevere in the most ridiculously hard circumstances. They were beaten, thrown in prisons. There were riots and struggle after struggle just because they went to cities and talked about Jesus and what they'd seen and what they'd heard. They risked their lives, their comfort, their safety, all to do what Christ had called them to do, which was just speak about what they'd seen and witnessed in him. And when we study in the book of Acts, there's this transition moment that happens where persecution breaks out against the church. Men and women start to scatter. So they were in Jerusalem, but persecution starts and people are at risk and they start going to different places. They go to Judea and they go to Samaria. But what they take with them when they leave Jerusalem is their faith in Christ. They talk about Christ wherever they go. And Acts tells us that one of these men that makes this journey is a guy named Philip. He goes to Samaria, and he talked about Jesus, and people listened. And I wish we had hours. There's so much cool history with Jerusalem and Samaria and what Jesus had said, but it was a very cool thing. And when he shows up talking about Jesus, people listen. And Philip felt God leading him, and Philip listened. And when he felt God calling him to head south and take a desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza, he goes. He goes to this new place, and he, uh, as he's going, he meets an Ethiopian man who was an official for Candace, who was the queen of Ethiopia. And as he meets this man, the man's sitting in a chariot, and he happens to be reading the prophet Isaiah. In Acts chapter 8, he's reading from the prophet Isaiah chapter 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth in his humiliation. He was deprived of justice. 
Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. So God's saying to Philip, I want you to go in this direction, and Philip goes, and then he comes across this guy reading the prophet, and Philip hears him reading, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And this man from Ethiopia says, well, how can I unless somebody's willing to explain it to me? So he asks Philip, who is Isaiah talking about? This is what it says in verse 35. Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. See, God prompted Philip to move, and as he moved, there was this incredible opportunity that Philip just kind of stumbles upon, right? Like, here's this guy reading the prophet, and the opportunity is there to read what he's reading and tell him all these awesome things about Jesus Christ. And as this man is hearing about Christ, his heart is stirred to belief, and he and Philip went down to the water, and he was baptized that very day. And then we find out that Philip continued preaching in different towns about Jesus Christ until he finds his way to Caesarea. Now, I just, this is a whole chapter, chapter 8 in Acts, and I just want to give you a snapshot of it because there's so many just really cool ideas we can see from this life of Philip. See, problems lead to opportunity. Think about it. If you have to leave your home because of persecution, that feels like a pretty large problem, doesn't it? Like, that's not a small thing. That's huge. And when they had to leave, it was fear. They'd watched their friend Stephen die for talking about Christ. They weren't safe in their homes. The city they knew and had grown up in was now a dangerous place to be. That is not a small thing, right? That's a huge problem to face. They had to go new places and build new homes and make new lives for themselves. But as they did, this incredible thing happened. They took Christ with them to new cities and their new homes, and they took what they'd seen, and they talked about what they'd experiences, and their lives changed, but their faith didn't. Their circumstances looked different, but their belief in Jesus Christ held strong. Now, we aren't living in the same time, but we face problems, don't we? We all face problems. And then we think we, like, conquered one set of problems, and then we go to a new phase of life, and it's like a whole new set of problems. Like, I didn't even know I had to be prepared for this because I didn't even know this was a thing, right? New obstacles and every new thing we face or that we didn't know we had to think about before, we face these problems and we struggle. But in these problems that we face, with the right faith, belief, and context is a unique set of opportunities a new way of thinking about things, a new way of learning and doing life, a new opportunity to see God at work. I love how Craig Rochelle frames this. He says, train your mind to remember problems are opportunities in disguise. See, normally we see problems where we're like, this is a problem, it's miserable, I hate it, right? But he's like, train your mind. Problems are opportunities in disguise. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control how you frame it. No one can stop you from reframing problems as potential opportunities. Every crisis creates unexpected problems, but every crisis also creates unprecedented opportunities. Most people just see the problems, but the best leaders address the problems and seize the opportunities. You're going to have reasons and excuses as to why your problems have faced you into a corner, but remember, Apathy finds any excuse while passion finds a way. Isn't that powerful? 
Maybe the problem that you're facing right now that just seems so impossible. Maybe it feels like the largest crisis you've ever faced. Maybe it's just the right place where God wants to teach you something new and lead you in a new direction. I just finished reading the book of Job. If you've ever read the book of Job, you have this like fascinating story in the beginning. You have a whole middle section of Job facing the most worst problems in the life, and his friends come to comfort him, and basically like, this is your fault. Like, you've sinned in some way, you've angered God in some way, and Job's like, you are miserable comforters. Why are you treating me this way? And he's like, if I could just defend myself to God, if I could just have a mediator between me and God and explain myself about why I don't really deserve this. And in the end, God shows up. And he speaks to Job, and he's like, who laid the foundation of the world, right? Who put these animals here? And Job says, I put my hand over my mouth, and I'm not going to speak anymore. I'd heard about you, but I never really saw you. Okay, and his whole life of faith is reframed by an encounter with God. And then God blesses him in the second part of his life more than he was. What if? When we have moments just like this and we're struggling and we can't understand why we're struggling or why the problems are the problems that they are and people aren't helping, (laughs) they're like, this is your fault. And you're like, but I didn't do anything to deserve this, right? Maybe it isn't that God's just mean or God hates us or God wants to see us struggle. Maybe it's that God wants to teach us something amazing about who he is. Maybe God wants to lead us to a new blessing that if we just saw him differently, it would help us frame life in a whole new way. Maybe God wants to grow our faith. Maybe God wants to grow our hearts. Maybe framing how we think about the things we experience in life, it doesn't change the problem, but man, does it change us. And when we change, everything around us changes because of what we can do differently. Every one of us has the choice to say, what are we going to do next? So we see this idea that problems lead to opportunity, but we also see this incredible moment where Philip has a choice. Will he follow? So it seems like such incidental lines, right? Like when um, the angel of the Lord says, go this way, and when the Spirit prompts Philip to do this, like it just seems so incidental. But every one of these moments, Philip could have said no, right? Philip could have said, I don't, I don't want to go down that road. I had a different direction. I had a different plan. I made all of these ideas about what my life was going to look like. But because Philip followed, we see these incredible things happen. Now, we don't know a whole lot about the life of Philip. He, he's mentioned a couple of times in Acts. Um, earlier in the book of Acts, when they're facing a problem, he's one of the seven men who's chosen to be a leader in the church. He's noted for being full of, full of the spirit and wisdom and Then we see him here in Acts chapter 8, and after this, we don't see him again until Acts 21. He's in Caesarea, and um, he's known as Philip the Evangelist. And a fun side note, he's got four daughters who work with him in the work of God, but that's really the pieces that we know about the life of Philip. But we see a lot about his heart of faith in just this chapter alone. He's a man who follows God. He's a man who let God lead him into a new place of leadership in the church. He's a man who let God lead him into a new city when he can't stay in Jerusalem. He followed the promptings of God to travel a different road, to go up and speak to an Ethiopian, a stranger, a whole different foreigner that was not somebody he knew. 
And because he was a man who followed God, he was able to things happen. He was able to have these opportunities to just talk about Jesus in very normal, natural, and easy ways. He was able to use his own unique life experience to help somebody else right where he was. And a life was changed because of it. A future was redirected. Now think about this. We don't hear anything else about the Ethiopian after this. But he believed in Jesus Christ and was baptized. And I have to think, he went home. And he told his family and his friends about this incredible encounter that he had. And as he was talking about Christ to other people, who knows how many lives were touched by the grace of God because Philip followed God. When the Holy Spirit prompted him, he listened. He was where God wanted him to be just at the right time to do the work that God had called him to do. I read stories like that and I think, man, how open am I to following God, right? Like how many times have I heard God saying do this? I'm like, eh, now's not a good time, <laughs> right? Or I feel like these gentle like promptings in my heart of do this, be here, go here, say this, right? Like we feel God prompting us and leading us and directing us. How open are we to following him? to listening to his call, to hearing his direction, to turning when we wanted to go one way, and he says, I want you to go this way and see what's going to happen down over here. But because Philip followed God when the Holy Spirit prompted his heart, he listened and he followed. I think this is such a powerful idea right here, because when Jesus, what did Jesus tell us about the Holy Spirit? He said, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The Greek word for the Holy Spirit is, I'm actually going to chop it up. I'm not going to tell you because I'm going to mess it up. My friend Logan could say it better than I could. But it gives us the image in the, in the Greek translation of it of somebody who's been called to one side to give aid, someone who helps. So we see the Holy Spirit as an advocate who pleads our cause even when we can't on our own who supports us and champions us and has our back and stands up for us and intercedes for us, but he's also known as a comforter because he gives us strength and hope and eases our grief, helps us find relief in times of pain and struggle. He's known as a counselor because he directs us in the way we should go when I'm struggling with what to do, with a tough decision or a choice or direction to take, Jesus reminds us that the Holy Spirit is there to guide us and direct us and show us how to go. And when we think about God as the Holy Spirit, we know there is one who always has our best interests at heart. One who wants what is best for us. One, one who wants to help us make a good choice and see us thrive and see us whole. Now we feel the tension of what I think is going to make me happy and what God knows will actually make me a better human being, right? And we feel this conflict of, well, I want to go this way because I think this will make me happy. But God drawing us in new directions because he's at work growing and cultivating our souls into images of Jesus Christ. He helps us in our weakness. And I love this. He's our friend. Nobody knows you better than a friend, right? Nobody's seen you more at your best <laughs> or at your worst than a friend. And the best kind of friends are the ones who don't abandon you when things get hard. The best kind of friends don't let you go on recklessly in the wrong direction, but help you see when you're messing up and remind you and redirect you. 
Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit, our helper, our guide, our friend, our comforter, our counselor, has been sent by God to teach us and help us remember. He teaches us how to have faith, right? The Holy Spirit at work in us gives us the ability even to believe in God and have faith in him. But he's also teaching us love and compassion and courage and hope and generosity and kindness, humility, and patience. All the things that don't come naturally to me, right? I want to be more kind. Life gives me reason and reason and reason why I shouldn't be more kind, but the Holy Spirit at work is teaching me how to be more and more like Christ every single day of my life. See, when we say yes to Christ for the first time, no matter when that was in our life, our hearts change, we're his, we're saved, that's done. But then it takes a whole lifetime of growing in our faith. It takes a whole lifetime of the Holy Spirit at work in me, teaching me how to be his, growing and cultivating things in me that don't exist now so that I can be more and more who God is calling me to be. The Holy Spirit teaches us and grows us, but he also helps us remember life gets busy and we forget. Life gets urgent and we don't always remember who God is and what he's done. I actually heard one pastor say, many times we find ourselves in the worst positions in life is because we either forgot who God is or we weren't remembering or allowing ourselves to listen to who God is. And it gets us in all kinds of struggles. We forget because life happens and things go this way and that way. And we need the Holy Spirit to help remind us you're not in this alone. God is for you. God is with you. God is calling you more and more and more into who he's created you to become. His goodness, his faithfulness, his love are reminders what Christ has already done and what Christ isn't finished with yet. We are not alone. We are not unseen. We are not unloved. We are called by name to be sons and daughters of God. We have a destination. We, we are on a journey, an adventure, and we haven't arrived there yet. No matter where we are in our life, how good or how bad the phase that we are in yet, God isn't finished, and neither are we. We need the Spirit to remind us we can persist, even in moments just like this. We are going to hit bumps along the way, but we can still take another step in the right direction with Him. Even when the path looks different than it used to be, God is still in control. In our life, in our family, in our church, in the community, in this wonky world that we live in, when you watch the news and you're like, well, this surely has to be it. It could not get any more terrible than this. God has not surrendered his control. He isn't finished yet. So the question is, if God is leading, are we willing to follow? If God is in control and he has this path, will we keep going with him? Will we take the next step forward in our adventure of faith? Maybe where God is leading us is the exact right place at the exact right time where he wants to do his next incredible work that we never could have even guessed it would look like this because God isn't done yet. I've been a part of this church since I was two years old. When mom and dad came and got the call and 
uh, started leading at Christ Church, and I've seen God at work year after year. I'm going to say a number, and it's going to make me sound old. I've been on staff at the church for 18 years. I remember when I got the call, and it was for student ministry, and I'm like, I'm going to have to think about that. I never thought about working with teenagers before, like, not on my radar. But for 10 years, I got to have this incredible experience that God cultivated in me a new love for the church when I saw him at work in the hearts of our teens. It was such a blessing for my life and how I got to see him at work. And he's had an awesome plan for the church and the work that he's been doing year after year after year over these last 40-some years. We've seen God moving powerfully and the church is growing and ministries are starting and groups are starting and lives are being saved and families are getting connected. And the word of Jesus Christ, we've seen it at work spreading right here in our church. And we have this vision to be a century church. We want to make decisions today that help us be a growing and thriving church, not just today, but a hundred years from today. We want this to be a healthy, growing church, not just for our kids, but for our kids, 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 right? Which means we follow where God is leading, and we're ready to take that next step, that next adventure forward with him. I've accepted a new position at the church as the executive pastor, and I'm going to be continuing the work that I've been doing with our finance team to help us grow and be a healthy foundation to do all the work that we want to do and to continue to be the work that God has given us the generous hearts of faith to do. I'm going to take new responsibilities on with our leadership teams and our staff and our interns, and if it all goes well over the next couple of years, we're going to build new campuses and new ministries and new teams with the leaders that God is going to rise up here in the church. So to be able to do all of that well, we're going to need some help here at Old Brooklyn. So my friend Jovan is going to come over and partner with us, and he's going to partner with our buddy Logan, and they're going to be the campus pastors here at Old Brooklyn. I want you to hear from them. So we have a video.